0: If you have a Bible, I would like for you to join me in Luke's Gospel, Gospel of Luke chapter 9. We'll pick up as we've been studying through um, the Gospel of Luke. Our desire is to see Jesus for who He really is. You'll recall that Luke opened up his Gospel saying that I want to provide for you an orderly account so that you may have certainty about the things you have been taught. And so in Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse number 10, we read these words, on their return the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for scripture. We believe that all scripture is God breathed and all scripture is profitable. We believe your word is profitable for reproof, for rebuke, for exhortation. And I pray that you'd use your word for that purpose among us this morning in areas where we need reproving, that you'd reprove us, where we need to be rebuked that you'd rebuke us and we we desperately need to be exhorted that you would exhort us unto christ we thank you for your word we pray that you'd speak truth to us from your word in jesus name amen well problems require solutions do they not solutions must address the actual problem or there are there no solutions at all if your problem at home is plumbing who do you call Well, you call the plumber. If you have a problem that's physical in nature, you go to a physician who hopefully can offer a solution. If your problem's a lack of information, maybe your solution's a teacher. The solution must specifically address the problem. I remember several years ago, we called a plumber to our house to fix a drainage problem we were having. He came in and fixed it, and it was perfect. A few days later, our television reception went out. And when the reception was knocked out, my son, who was about four years old at the time, immediately said, Daddy, we need to call the plumber. There there were two implications to this statement. First, he concluded the plumber can fix any problem that we may have in our house. And and second, and perhaps most importantly, a lesson that's been reiterated in his lifetime again, time and time again, is Daddy couldn't fix the problem. You know, part of getting to a solution at times is eliminating the false solutions. We've been studying now through Luke's gospel, and in particular, the second half of chapter 8 and on into chapter 9, we are confronted with a series of problems. We've been and we've seen the disciples in a boat when a storm comes up and they think they're going to sink. And then they don't sink, they step off to a boat to dry land, and immediately they're confronted with another problem. A problem nobody knew what to do with. A demoniac, a man who's possessed with many demons that they could no longer control. And then from there, they get back in the boat and go back across the shore. And there's another problem. A woman with bleeding for 12 years. And then the problem of problems, a dad has a 12-year-old daughter who's, who's dying. Scene after scene after scene confronts us here in the text with significant problems. And I want you to notice that in each problem, there was an attempt at a solution. When the storm comes up, the disciples, among them, are some experienced fishermen. that They try to get the water out of the boat themselves. But their ability to get the water out of the boat did not meet the challenge of the water coming into the boat. The, the demoniac, the, the surrounding people, had tried a solution. Their solution was just to chain him down among the tombs right just chain him there and that's the solution to the problem the 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 problem was he kept breaking the chains no matter what strength chain they put on he he broke free from the chain and then maybe in some ways most tragically the woman with the bleeding she tried solution after solution had she not i believe it's mark's gospel that said she she spent all her wealth on physicians and Mark says she was not made better. She was actually made worse. She had tried to find a solution and, and could not. And, and then Jairus, who's an influential uh, man in the community, he's the ruler of the synagogue, probably every problem in his life he's been able to handle until his daughter's sick unto death and she dies. And he has no, he has no solution for that. So in every scene, there's a problem. And then somebody tries to come up with a solution. And then the solution doesn't work. But also in each scene, the the problem is handled. In each scene, somebody specific handles the problem, and that same somebody, who you already know is Jesus, right? That same somebody solves the problem in the same way. He speaks, right? He speaks, and the waves are still. He, He speaks, and the demons come out and then the woman reaches out in faith he doesn't speak to her directly on the front end but he turns to her you remember puts the spotlight on her when her bleeding and he says daughter your faith has made you well and then he enters the room with Jairus' daughter who's dead and he says Talitha Kumi little lamb arise and immediately she comes back to life disaster demons disease and death these are significant problems And again, in each case, those facing them attempted to overcome them through their own insufficient means. And it's frustrating, isn't it? It's frustrating to have a problem that you can't get a solution for. Well, each problem, though they are different from one another, ultimately was overcome by Jesus. And he demonstrates his power and authority over every enemy we face in life. Can I say that again? Jesus demonstrates his power and authority over every enemy we will face in this life. And then, as we turn to chapter 9, Jesus blesses his disciples. We read this together and studied this. He blesses his disciples with power and authority, chapter 9, verse 1, over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And the take-home, we won't re-preach that sermon here and now, but the take-home from that is Jesus blesses us with power and authority as we listen to, obey, and share his word. And the disciples did that. Remember, Jesus called them to himself and then sent them out. So again, we want, to, we, want to, we want to get the right balance there. Let's not be sent out if we've not come to him and learned from him and submitted to him, trust in him. But let's also not think that we can come to him and learn from him and trust in him and not be sent out to proclaim the kingdom. Well, they were so successful in proclaiming the kingdom that the word reached this wicked man named Herod. And the last time we studied Luke chapter 9, this is the scene that we had. Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, and Herod had quite the history with John, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had arisen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Who is this about whom I hear such things? That brings us to our text this morning as Luke continues to answer that question. It's a good question, by the way, isn't it? It's a question that you need to have an answer for in your life. Who is this? Who is this Jesus? And what is he all about? So we begin here in verse 10. Jesus had sent the apostles out. They'd proclaimed the kingdom. They'd, They'd healed diseases. And they've come back to him. That's what verse 10 explains. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. That would have been an interesting discussion, wouldn't it? They come back and share with him all that they've done. And I'm just wondering, as I read that text, it was a thought that popped in my mind. How would that go in my own life if I've shared with Jesus today all that I did this past week? If, if, I, if, I, if I was with him and had to give an account of how I've spent my time this past week, let me tell with him, let me, let me tell him rather all that I've done. We will give an account, by the way, right? You know that. We really will stand before him. We, we really will say, here's how I've spent my life. They do that about this time that they've had. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Uh, so the original plan is that they're going to withdraw to a, to a quiet place, a peaceful place. And, and they're going to have a time of re- reflection. They're going to have a time of sharing. They're going to have a time of relaxation. And then everything changes. Their schedule is completely interrupted. You ever have your schedule interrupted? how interruptible is that even a word how interruptible are you you know i have a little bit of a problem in my life and that i like to plan out well in advance and structure my day and here's what i'm going to do it here's what i'm going to do it and so on and then when interruptions come along i tend not to handle them very well what you're going to see here is the disciples they do not handle this interruption well at all in fact there's only one person who's going to be well equipped for the interruption that's going to be jesus so if you've got a handout and want to follow along here, here in the points that we're going to, uh, by God's grace, make, the, 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 on the outline, the first thing is, number one, the first problem. The first problem is there were a lot of people. Luke tells us here, uh, verse 11, when the crowds learned it, learned what? That the disciples and Jesus had gone away to a desert place. When they learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Isn't this interesting that they want to track Jesus down? the, The truth of the matter is when Jesus, and this is what the disciples up to this point have been doing, when Jesus is accurately proclaimed, accurately understood, and people understand him for who he really is, guess what Jesus does? He attracts people to him with tremendous power. I mean, he's out in the middle of nowhere, and and they're going to go track him down. That's interesting about Jesus, and it's also said of John the Baptist, he was preaching out in the middle of nowhere. And when the kingdom of God comes with power, people will seek it out. They had to go to a lot of effort to find him. There were a lot of people. A lot of people came to him because a lot of people had a lot of needs. Look at what is said here in the text. It says, when the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now, this crowd—we know there's five thousand men, so so it's uh, it's a lot. As thousands and thousands of people are coming, when you include the women and the children, this crowd is made up of people who are suffering. Now I want you to try to picture the scene in your mind: thousands in need of healing. They're the blind, they're the crippled, they're the deaf, there's the mute, there's the diseased. There's parents who are bringing their children. It's, It's the type of crowd you may see gathered today in an emergency room, but it's thousands and thousands of them. And I want you to notice how Jesus responds to them. Pay attention to the verbs in verse number 12. Excuse me, in verse number 11. When the crowds learned that they followed him and he... What's your first verb? Welcomed them. Spoke to them of the kingdom of God. And cured those who had need of healing. He welcomed them, spoke to them, cured them. Think about the verbs and the picture they paint of your Savior, your follower of Jesus. Aren't you thankful that each of those words is in the text? Imagine if he'd welcomed them but then couldn't help them. Or imagine what it would say of the character of our God if he were willing to cure them, but he believed it was beneath him to speak to them. Isn't it great that he welcomes them, and he speaks to them, and he cures them. Jesus is a welcoming Savior. He doesn't look at that crowd and say, oh no, I can't believe they're coming. Our plans were here to get to a desolate place. Now that, I think, is how some of the disciples are going to feel We'll talk about that in just a moment. But Jesus didn't mind being interrupted. He said, I've come to seek and save the lost. I'm so thankful that he shows great compassion for people throughout Luke 8 and 9, hasn't he? We see, first of all, he shows great compassion to individuals. He, the individual. Remember, he got into the boat that they had the storm in to go across the sea to get to just one person, the demoniac. Remember? He heals the demoniac, and then the surrounding people beg him to leave, and the Bible says he got back in the boat and departed. He wait, made the whole journey for one person, and then he's surrounded by the crowds, and Luke says that the woman reached out with the bleeding and touched him, and he stopped everything. He, he cares about individuals, but now Luke is say, saying to us, he welcomes the whole crowd. I want you to know I want you to know you're not part of a blind, or excuse me, a, um, a mass of people that your face just sort of blends in to Jesus. He knows you, loves you, concerned with you. He has great compassion. So the problem, the first problem is there are a lot of people. And then the second problem is there were a lot of people, or not the second problem, but underneath the same uh, point, there were a lot of people and they were Hungry. Now, there must have been a variety of pains Jesus healed among the crowd. Again, blind or deaf or mute, diseased. But they all have one thing in common. Now, they're hungry, right? Food is a universal human need. And there's a legitimate physical need that must be met for thousands. I also think there's a little bit more going on here that, uh, that we can clue in from the, from the text. I want you to, your eyes to go back up to, to Luke chapter 8, verse 55. This is when uh, Jesus raises Jairus' daughter, the 12-year-old girl, from the dead. And then there's a, a little clue here, I think. Luke 8, and her spirit returned and she got up at once. Now, notice what happens here. He directed that something should be given to her to eat, right? Something, uh, Jesus heals her raises her from the dead and then immediately says i want you to make sure that she has something to eat now we we fast forward in time a little bit and here's with the five thousand plus crowd this crowd of thousands and thousands and he's healed and he's healed and he's healed and then they're hungry and so what goes on oftentimes in the gospels is there's real things done in the real physical world but they teach spiritual truth and in many ways this is a this is a living parable jesus has healed them and now what are they now they're hungry and this is a spiritual implication is this. Jesus heals you, raises you from, from death to life. Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the spirit of the power of the air that was still at work among the sons of disobedience. But God being rich in mercy, even when you were dead, praise his grace, right, made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace you're saved through faith. It's the gift of God. So he raises you to life. But then you know what, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, after you've been raised from death's life, you still need something to eat. You still need to be sustained. You still need His, well, you still need His Word. Yes, there's a moment of conversion, but then there's also all the days of your life that come after the conversion. Now, now we find something similar here. Jesus heals people and followed that is their need for food. So who does He say in both instances should give either Jairus' daughter something to eat, or now the crowds. You, you see, here's the pattern. Jesus does what only Jesus can do. He heals, whether it's a physical healing like resurrection or physical healing like um, uh, is, is done here in, in, with the thousands, but then he directs somebody else to give them something to eat, right? You're you following along in both those cases. So when Jesus brings healing to somebody's life, they have an immediate need after that for continued sustenance. So, this mass of people in many ways represents the kingdom of God, right? If you'd looked out at that mass of people, you wouldn't have thought that that's a, that's a glamorous group of people. You would have thought that, that man, that there's, a, there's somebody on par with, with a, say, a Roman legion or something like that. But that, that's, that's who the kingdom of God is made up of. Those who recognize they've got desperate needs and got nowhere else to go other than Jesus. And if he's out in a desolate place, man, we're going out to a desolate place. For such is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of God. There were a lot of people, they were hungry, and then we're told from the text, the last portion of this first problem, and it was about to be dark. Right? So, so there's a time constraint added here. And the disciples are getting antsy. They're getting nervous. The sun's going down. You've got thousands of people out in this desolate place. There's no street lamps coming on, right? It's going to be dark, and it's a significant problem. In their rush to find Jesus for healing, they were apparently ill-prepared, this group of thousands of people. And their desperation to reach him, they had not brought any provisions with them. So the disciples get antsy, and that brings us to our second problem. The second problem involves the, the disciples. Let's see how they respond. In verse 12, it says, Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions. For we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. So the first thing that we see here in this second problem is the disciples lacked compassion. The very attribute that's so readily seen in Jesus is nowhere to be found in them. And this is, a, this is one of the important themes, I think, in Luke's gospel. There's two other texts I want you to see uh, uh, quickly. One, maybe just turn a page or two over to Luke chapter 10 and verse number 29. We'll get to this text and study it in greater detail in the coming weeks. This is a well-known parable of the Good Samaritan. And I want you to notice what is the, the defining characteristic of the Good Samaritan. It says here that... Um, He, this guy who has got a question for Jesus, he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had, fill in the blank for me, compassion he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he sent him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he's going to come back. So, so the good Samaritan, he distinguishes himself from the Levite and the priest because he has compassion. Uh, turn in Luke to, to Luke 15, one other text quickly. Luke chapter 15, uh, another very well-known parable of Jesus, perhaps his most well-known, the parable of the prodigal son. And without going into all the details of this amazingly wonderful parable, uh, the the younger son who went off to a far country, he came to himself. He's going to go home. He's going to go home to his father. He thinks when he gets there, because of all that he's done, he just wants to be a hired servant in his father's house. And it says in Luke chapter 15. Let's begin in verse 19. The younger son says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. That's what he's planning to say when he gets there. He says, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt. Do you see it? And he felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now, how do you know if you are a person of compassion? And those two texts, whenever, whenever uh, either the good Samaritan or the father in the parable felt compassion, they did something. They didn't just stand there feeling compassionate. Compassion always leads you to action. The disciples don't have any compassion, and therefore their plan was not to do anything. That's a big problem, isn't it? They say, here's a big problem. You know, there's some people who are experts in defining problems. But if you don't have compassion, your conclusion is, I see what the problem is, but it's, it's not my problem. Well, Julie and I were planning to get married i've probably shared this story before The the pastor who was giving us our premarital counseling gave a list of characteristics that are important to marriage honesty uh, all, this whole long list i can't remember right off the i just remember one characteristic that was given. <laughs> that was given it was compassion and what we were supposed to do is we were supposed to individually rank and rate on a scale of one to ten how well we thought the other person exhibited this characteristic And I began to look at it. I mean, Julie's all tens. And I do not mean that. I would have said that then. I say it now. And and so so we had to turn it in, and then he would sit down with us. And I'll never forget it. We were sitting in a restaurant, and and he he got out the list. I was like, oh, yeah, man, I gave her all tens. And and, and he said something I didn't anticipate. Actually, what we were supposed to do is we were supposed to rate the other person and rate ourselves. And then if there was any uh, inconsistency in the rating system, we were going to talk about it. And uh, so he said, well, well, interestingly enough, there was only one character trait where you had a disagreement between the two of you. I said, oh, that's interesting. I mean, I, I guess it was Julie must have rated herself nine on something, and I gave her all tens. That must be what it is. He said, it was, uh, it was actually, Brandon, you rated yourself fairly highly on something, and she rated you fairly low. <laughs> I just wasn't prepared for this. And he said, and it was, the, it was compassion." I said, really? And then all of a sudden, I felt a lack of compassion. You know, I was like, <laughs> uh, really? You know, when you, when you hear something and you just don't quite know it, really? A lack of compassion that leads to, to, to action. And here, here is where she, she wasn't my wife yet, but a wife can be a helper if you have some humility. Do you know what I think is true? She had a little bit of a point. There are times in my life, when I can't see, here's what a problem is, but but I don't want to do anything about it. You know what that becomes? You begin to get hard-hearted, and you become a criticizer. Christians should not be cultural critics only. Do, do you know why some people? Do you know why some people don't want anything to do with Jesus? Because they've been around with some people who say they follow Jesus. And all those so-called followers of Jesus do is criticize and criticize and criticize and say, here's what the problem is, here's what the problem is, here's what the problem is, and don't offer any solutions. And oh, by the way, the whole solution is Jesus. They lack compassion. Notice what they say. Uh, th- th- they, say <laughs> here, th- they say four words that a follower of Jesus Christ should never find themselves saying. Here they are. You ready for them? Verse 11. Now the day began to wear away and the twelve came and said to him. Now he's in the middle of healing everybody. He's welcoming. He's speaking. He's showing compassion. They come up to him. We're not told who the speaker is. Probably Peter because he speaks every other time. They come up to him and here's what they say. Send the crowd away. Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. They say to Jesus, send them away. They're not responding too favorably to this interruption in their life. Send the crowd away to the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions. What are they saying? You need, this crowd, you people need to find your rest and your food somewhere else. The surrounding villages? You, you mean like the surrounding villages that's filled up with people who beg Jesus to leave from there? Those villages, that's where they want them to go. You mean places where like the demoniac was healed and they begged him to leave? You you mean places like Herod's palace? Where the wicked cut off the heads of the righteous? Those places, that's where the disciples want to send them. Now here's what's true about the hungry, and this is an important lesson for us as followers of Jesus. Here's what's true about the hungry. They will look for food wherever they can find it. Do do you think it's possible? Do you think it's possible that one of the biggest problems in the church in America today is that it's full of so-called followers of Jesus who have them a send-them-away attitude? When you send them away... They're going to look for lodging and food somewhere else. Anywhere else they may be able to find it. And you actually send them away on an impossible journey. Because the only place, the only place to find rest and life and food and provision is in Jesus. And these disciples, just back from their high and mighty mission trip, said, Why don't you send them away? We're ready for some rest and relaxation. We came out here to be away from them, and I've met a lot of people who, in great desperation, are looking for rest. They are looking for hope, and then they end up looking for in places that can never provide any of those things. I need somebody to point them to Jesus. He says, "Don't send them away." You know what Jesus did? He welcomed them. You saw that in the text, right? Now these these guys, these disciples, they're wanting to establish. A, 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 a group of people that's called Send Them Away Memorial Church. And we don't give names to churches like that, do we? we? We come up with better names. Hope Baptist Church. I like Calvary Baptist Church. That's a great name, isn't it? They have Send Them Away Church. Now, we'd never name a church that, but there are churches like that. You just go go somewhere else. When I was in Mumbai, India a few years ago, we came to the end of our time. It was the day that we were leaving. I believe it was a Friday. We were going to fly out that night. And all week long, we had been walking in villages, sharing the gospel. We had had had, a, had an amazing week had been in places they'd never heard the name of Jesus before. We've been in places they'd never seen people who looked like us before. We walked in one village, and a person in the village spoke up. I was with Pastor Robin from Sunset Baptist. He looked at us and said, are they from National Geographic Explorer? That's the only people who look like them that we've ever seen here. I said, no, we're not from National Geographic. We've come to share with you an important message, though, and got to sit in that village and share the gospel, share about Jesus Christ, at the end of our time, said, have you ever heard this before? And to a person in that village, you know what they all said? No, we've never heard that before. It had a great week, but it had been an exhausting week. It had been a long flight over there. My body never got adjusted to the clock, so I found myself there night after night, two and three and four in the morning, just staring up, trying to pray, but, but not being able to fall asleep. So by the last day, I was pretty tired, I was pretty exhausted, just ready, just truthfully, for a little bit of a break, And we had about an hour prior to departing to the airport, so I walked to a nearby mall to get something to eat. Nothing uh, too terribly glamorous. It was McDonald's. And I sat there with my chicken McNuggets and large Coke and began just to unwind a little bit, to reflect on the week. About the time I opened my pack of barbecue sauce, I noticed a man uh, kind of catacornered to me at another table, just staring at me. I saw him at the corner of my eye and immediately thought if I make eye contact with him he's going to want to talk then I bet we don't even speak the same language so 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 I won't make eye contact with him so we don't have to do the whole awkward oh I don't speak your language you don't speak my language and we just save ourselves the trouble and I noticed he just kept staring at me <laughs> and finally I looked over at him and just as I feared he wanted to talk I'm not real talkative to begin with, and I'd been talking all week. I'd reached my talking max. I just want to sit there with my McNuggets and my Coke to taste a little bit of home. <laughs> and he began to speak flawless English. Though born in India, it turned out he lived in the United States, and he began to talk and talk and talk. And I began to get Irritated. I just wanted a few quiet moments to gear up for the flight. I don't like flying. and just the thought of the whole multi-hour trip. I'm just a little anxious. And he just kept talking and asking questions. You're not from here, are you? He asked. Well, no, I'm not. What gave it away, right? How did you know? And I find myself getting more irritated by the McNugget. I'm tired. I'm hungry. And I've been witnessing all week long. I just want to be left alone i want this guy you know what i want i want him to go away my mission trip is over that's what i'm thinking to myself and then god gave me the grace to see myself for myself has that ever happened to you that god gives you grace to see yourself for who you really are i got a glimpse of myself from his perspective mission trip over i even said that in my mind Our mission trip on earth is never over. And I've been frustrated all week to a degree that I could never find someone that I didn't have to speak to through a translator. And now here I am in a McDonald's in Mumbai at their mall, and here's a guy that we don't need a translator. That's how the disciples felt. They just got back from this trip. They're exhausted. They're tired. They're looking forward to some rest. And then thousands of people show up. And you know what? They say, Jesus, would you please just send them away? Well, the contrast is pretty clear. They want the crowd to go away. Jesus wants to welcome them. And it begs the question for us as individuals, in your family and in our church, are, are we a send them away people or are we a welcome, come here to Jesus people? The, the first problem there's a huge crowd and they're hungry and it's late the second problem is the disciples lack compassion and then added to that the disciples lack compassion and had limited resources it becomes evident to them that jesus is not going to let them go with plan a plan a was to send them away so so they come up with plan b they said send the crowds away and go to the surrounding villages and get provisions there but he said to them verse 13 you give them something to eat And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. Plan A, Jesus is nixed. So plan B, they adopt a plan that unfortunately many people adopt and churches adopt. It's not quite as cold-hearted as plan A, but it still is no solution. You know what their solution is? Look what he says. Unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. Do you know what their next thought is? What's our feed the hungry budget? How much is left? Anybody Anybody got, a, got the paperwork on that? Mark's gospel gives a little bit more. Uh, I think it's Philip who says, I mean, it's eight months worth of wages to feed all these people. If we pull all our... The, their next thought is how much, how much money have we got? And their conclusion is probably we can't feed everybody, but we'll just feed who we can afford to feed. I and mean, that would have been a great scene. Right? How, do you, how do you determine who you're going to feed? We have a lottery system or, or something like that? How much money do we have? We have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go buy food. You, you, you can almost hear the disdain in their voice. Unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. They see the people as a problem and Jesus doesn't. Jesus sees them as people. So... Plan A failed, plan B is not much better. They're not send them away, Baptist church. Now, Now they want to be budget Baptist church. And I do think they were Baptist. I'm just teasing. An argument can probably be made they're not Baptist since they don't seem to want to have this potluck supper, right? So Jesus gives them an impossible task, and they know it's impossible. So just briefly, why is Jesus setting up this scenario? And for that answer, I think we get a pretty good hint in verse number 10. Would you look at verse 10? We read it fast, and maybe you didn't catch it. I didn't catch it the first dozen times I read it. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. <laughs> They're going to tell Jesus what they had done. And, it, and it's almost like Jesus. He, he's, he's brought them to a... Uh, withdrawn place called Bethsaida a desolate place where they're kind of cut off and Jesus says okay you want to tell me all that you're capable of doing let me present you a scenario that immediately reveals your great limitations you tell me what all that they've done okay okay let's see now what you can do here is it possible the apostles after a successful mission trip began to get a little bit big-headed is it possible they've been so successful in ministry that they forgot how they operated So Jesus gives them a task that exposes their limitations. In your life and in our church, we will either operate according to our very limited resources, or we will humbly confess that apart from him, we can do nothing and prayerfully submit ourselves to being used by him to see great things done. You know, Jesus has given us an impossible task, right? Jesus has actually given his followers, his disciples, the task of taking the gospel to the nation's and you want to talk about feeding 5,000 people is impossible. You, take, you talk about taking the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, that is an impossible task. And you know what our first response is? Well, just somebody else's problem. Somebody else has got to be responsible for that. But they can't be us. Send them away. And then, our, and, and then if we get a little more uh, reproof from, from the Lord, our next statement is, we'll, we'll, well, what's our budget to do that then, right? Isn't that how we think? We think exactly how they think. So so the disciples lack compassion and they do have limited resources and they forgot about Jesus. It seems hard to believe that they forgot about him after what they've seen. They were on the boat when he settled the storm. They were on the shore when the demons were terrified of him. They were in the crowd when the woman with the bleeding was healed. They were with him, three of them at least, when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. And they still do not perceive that no matter the problem, Jesus has the power to solve it. We can be so forgetful about Jesus, can't we? A little poem I read this week. Yesterday, God helped me. Today, he'll do the same. How long will this continue? Forever. Praise his name. At that point, Jesus had proven his authority over nature, over the supernatural, over disease, and even over death. And now he demonstrates his power of creation. He's going to create a meal almost out of nothing. He's got this little piddly five loaves and two fish. And that brings us to number three. The problem solved. The problem solved. For there were about 5,000 men, and he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each, and they did so. And he had them all sit down, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and gave a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Problem solved, number one, is when Jesus intervened personally. Jesus intervened personally. I'll go on and give you all three of them. Jesus intervened personally. Jesus involved the disciples, and then Jesus provided miraculously. That's still how he accomplishes great things today. First of all, he intervened personally. Jesus was not a, this is a somebody else's problem, savior. He's come to take all the problems on himself, actually. And I want to make two points, these, two, th- these points together, because it gives us great insight. There were some things that here only Jesus could do. Peter couldn't multiply the fish. Peter couldn't multiply the bread. There's some things only Jesus could do. And then there were some things he instructed the disciples to do. To organize the the crowd. To to distribute the food. It was not up to the disciples to make the food. In fact, they couldn't. Remember, they, they planned to buy food. Their responsibility was food distribution, not food preparation. And on down to the ages... The the purpose of disciples is not to make the food. He's already given us the bread of life, His word. This is what we are sustained by. It's not my responsibility to make food, it's my responsibility to distribute food. And too often we want to make the menu when Jesus asks us to serve the plates. And then Jesus provides miraculously. The food just kept coming, it didn't run out. In fact, it concludes they all ate and were satisfied, and what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. One basket full for every disciple to carry as a tangible object lesson that these people aren't to be sent away, they're to be welcomed. And a tangible object lesson of the disciples' limitations and Christ's sufficiency. Did you notice what the baskets are full of? They're full of broken pieces of bread. And it won't be long before Jesus is seated at a table with these very same men when they finally get there, when they finally do get their few moments of seclusion, when they finally do get their few moments away from the thousands of people, and in those quiet moments of seclusion, Jesus will break bread to symbolize something very important, his body given for us. And this account illustrates how Jesus solves our biggest problem. You know what? Our biggest problem isn't the boats about to sink, like the disciples thought. Our biggest problem's not even demons. Our biggest problem is not even disease. Our biggest problem is not even death itself. Our biggest problem is we are sinful and God is holy. We are unrighteous and he is righteous. Now you want to talk about problems, that's the most significant problem there is. But our biggest problem is we don't know what our biggest problem is. We think it's financial or economic or physical. No, no. Our biggest problem is we're sinful and God's holy and God could have easily said to us, send them away. But praise God's grace, instead God the Father didn't say send them away. He looked at his son and sent him to us. He said, you're to go to them. God could easily have said, out of here with you guys. And God involved himself personally and provided for us miraculously. Jesus is doing more here than feeding 5,000. He's pointing to the cross. I understand that because in verse 21, it says, And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, he'll rise again verse 44 just in case we didn't catch it the first time around let these words sink into your ears the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and if we still didn't get it verse 51 when the days drew near for him to be taken up he set his face to go to Jerusalem in Luke 9 10 through 17 there's a big problem and then there's a miraculous solution in in a moment we're going to have our invitation and our invitation is going to be a time that we respond to the word spoken but I want you to see one more verse and then we'll conclude. It says in verse 17, and they all ate and were satisfied. Those who eat of the broken body of Christ are satisfied in him. Those who have their sins atoned for they are then given the task of offering the body of Christ, the broken body of Christ, the gospel to others. That they may be satisfied. So, this is not just a story about Jesus miraculously providing a meal for thousands of people to eat. What you need to do in the story is to find yourself in the story. You're either a disciple tasked with the responsibility of giving and offering bread to the hungry, or you're the the hungry who need to find life in Christ Jesus. Luke, uh, the verse that we just read, that he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Why? Because he's going to be crucified. They're going to break his body. They're going to break his body. Now, the miracle sets it up. How many people can be satisfied in Christ? He just kept giving. He just kept giving. It was miraculous. Whosoever will may come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's room for you at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it have been terrible? Wouldn't it have been terrible if they're feeding the 5,000 and they've organized them and sitting in 50s and 50s and they get to this group of 50 at the end and they'd run out. That would be no providing Savior, would it? It says they all ate and were satisfied. So, in a moment, in a moment, we'll have our invitation. We'll stand and we'll sing together. And in anticipation of that, let me ask you just a few questions. First, where are you looking for rest and satisfaction? You know what it said here? They're looking for lodging and provisions. We all look, we all look for it somewhere. Some of of us actually look for it in ourselves, right? We're so proud we think we're good to go. Second question, where where in your life are you telling others to look? Jesus welcomed people. The disciples said, send them away. The answer to the second question is probably the same as the first. We, We always point people to find rest and satisfaction in the places we ourselves are looking. And third Do you welcome people to Jesus or do you send them away? And Do you rely on your own limited resources to minister to others or humbly confess your limitations and rely on Jesus to be at work among those whom you serve in ways that only he could? So this morning, let's stand together. I'm going to invite you to respond in one of the following ways. First of all, if you've never repented of your sins and submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ, all your life long you've been looking for lodging and rest and satisfaction somewhere else, if you've never confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, if you've never put your faith in the fact that He, His body really was broken on your behalf, if you've never understood your biggest problem is He's holy, we're sinful, how do you solve that problem? Well, you can't call a plumber and you can't call a teacher. If we need to be saved, the only solution to the problem is a Savior. And it's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us of of our sin and makes those who are unrighteous acceptable in the sight of the holy God. If you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his glorious resurrection, I'm going to invite you to respond publicly to the invitation. You can meet me right here at the front. We'll pray together. You say, I don't know what in the world I, I, I would say when I get down there. You might begin with this. I'm trusting Jesus as my Lord and Savior. The invitation is also open for those of you who are followers of Jesus, but you've heard something in the Word this morning that you want to respond to. Perhaps you were convicted by the Holy Spirit. You've become a send-them-away kind of person with a send-them-away attitude and a send-them-away behavior instead of a welcoming person. Now, we can certainly pray together about that, or you may want to be on your knees before the Lord asking God uh, to, to mold you and shape you to be more like Jesus. There are a lot of hungry people in the world, and the hour is late. The hungry are in Mumbai, they're in Missouri, they're in Guatemala, and they're in Rocky Mount. And God does not desire for us to send them away. Actually, it's just the opposite. His desire is to send us to those who are hungry. Jesus says, why don't you start with this basket full of broken bread? (laughs) Our resources are limited, but what he offers is sufficient. Father, would you lead our time as we seek to respond faithfully to what your word says. We have no other hope but Jesus Christ. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is the only means for sinful people and a holy God to be reconciled to each other. So Father, would you lead our time of invitation. If there's anybody here, they've looked for rest and lodging and food in a thousand other places, and they're realizing now that Salvation is only to be found in Christ. I pray you'd give them grace to respond to a public invitation. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, I pray you'd speak clearly to us and help us to respond that we're not a people who say it's somebody else's problem, but it's our privilege, our blessed privilege, to offer the gospel to others. I pray you'd help us to respond in a way that glorifies our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.